Christine McDaniel is the proud founder of the Magnolia Firm, an international M&A and business brokerage firm. Before starting Magnolia and helping companies buy and sell their businesses, she spent over 20 years building and selling her own companies. In this interview, Christine provides incredible advice for any founders or future founders out there. She explains how to prepare for a strong exit, managing internal communications during the process, and how to transition responsibilities to the new ownership team once the deal is done. Toward the end of the interview, I asked her to share with us how she started her firm and how they go about securing new clients. And I'm happy to say that part of her answer included recently activating an outbound sales development motion. So we unpack that in detail, of course. Okay, everyone. Well, you always hear a lot about starting businesses and growing businesses, but you don't often hear a lot about exiting the business or selling the business. So that's what we're here to talk about today. I have a phenomenal guest who's highly experienced in this field, and she's going to walk us through the whole uh, backstory of what that looks like and getting ready for exits and that process. She runs a consulting firm. So this is completely on point with this being the sales consultant podcast to have uh, Christine here with us to talk about exit strategies and that sort of thing with entrepreneurs. So um, Christine, first of all, thank you for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Of course, Derek. No, appreciate you having me on and excited for this interview. Great. Well, uh, tell everybody where you are in the world right now. I think that might be pretty interesting. <laughs> So I am in, I decided to live in Dubai for the month of April. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. Um, I live normally in San Diego, but I love traveling the world and yeah, love this city and even more so living here for the month. So yeah, it's good times. Very good. Never been, hope to go. Um, very good. So her firm normally uh, you know, works with founders and entrepreneurs on their exit strategy. Um, but before we get into how you help them, can you talk to us a little bit about your experience with exits? I know you have your own uh, history, if you will. Uh, I, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile littered with exits. So uh, how many companies have you sold that you've started? And is there any one that really stuck with you? Yeah, so I've definitely, um, I've had 19 years of starting, building, buying, acquiring, selling companies, so almost two decades already, um, and 10 startups in there, another 10 were, you know, other business acquisitions or roll-ups, and yeah, so successfully exited all of them. My software company was the most recent one, and that one was like pennies on the dollar, so that one was still an exit, but it wasn't for how much we put into that, mm -hmm. and everybody listening, I know a lot of people are in tech, and and I bow down to everybody. I know how hard it is. It was probably the hardest three years of my life. But yeah, so I, but I've been successful as far as, you know, all the other exits, um, bootstrapped. So that was exciting. You start from scratch, you're really scrapping, you're hustling. And nice. I think the the payout is even that much more fulfilling at the end of the road because you know how hard you worked for it. So yeah, I'd say the best um, exit and the most fun company was Eco Chateau, which is a wellness spa in San Diego. Start from scratch. 2012, two locations, 37 women working at both locations and exited in, uh, five years later, 2017. Um, great exit, high multiple, great buyers, kept my team, kept everything the same. So that's exactly what you want for an exit. So it's fun. Now I get to facilitate other people's exits to kind of get them that that sweet deal, not just money, but an incredible buyer. Yeah. And, it, and it's reassuring knowing someone who's been there, done that themselves a ton of times. And now you're taking that and helping folks. So you're applying practical, real life stuff that you've done yourself. And I'm sure you stay on the cutting edge of, of what's happening out there as well. But I want to understand, um, like, why do founders normally want to sell? Like, what are the motivators behind it? You know, I, I would imagine wanting to keep my business forever if it's doing well. 
Yeah, we deal with, with our clientele is actually on the younger side. So our hmm. youngest exit, I think they were about 23, 24 years old. Wow. Um, I think the average is mid thirties. This is their first venture. It's it's We only deal with tech. So um, remote-based digital businesses. So hmm. digital marketing agency, SaaS, uh, software integrations, so that that's the like the realm we play in. So it's a lot of you know early first time founders, younger, and they're they're just you know they're builders, they're creators. They're, they're they they want to move to the next thing. They want to move to the next one. Certain, mm. Yeah, once it gets to a certain size, it's a completely different skill set, and they realize that. And they're like, look, we either need to go raise capital, mm. you know, and, and get this new skill set, or start something from scratch. And that's the part that excites them the most. So typically they already got that new venture either already started or about to be started when they come to us to exit and they want to exit immediately. There's no exit planning and that, and don't everybody listening, don't feel guilty because it's very rare. Somebody's done this massive two-year exit strategy plan. Like that just isn't as common. It never happens where they did all right. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. They just, when you're ready, you're ready and you just know it. And so, so yeah, that's number two. The other ones I've seen are the, is burnout. Okay. People, I mean, COVID pushed people to the limits, like, and we saw it. You know, the business owners that still still made it through, they they still were net positive cash flow. Um, they did they did well through COVID, some grew through COVID, depending on the industry, but they were just tapped, tapping out. They're like, look, we can't do this anymore. We made it through COVID. We're ready to exit. Um, so so that's the second reason, biggest reason is burnout. So it's not that they want to go sit on a beach somewhere or something. They're not looking to retire necessarily. They're looking to keep on building. Exactly. Exactly. Very good. And what size or what range do you normally work within uh, in terms of size of companies and and that sort of thing? Yeah, we're still lower market right now. We're about three to 5 million um, purchase. Yeah. Three to Mm. five. Um, They, they're really easy for us. They sell quickly. We can get higher multiples. Again, these are all the businesses we take on are cash flowing, growing companies. (laughs) So, so people, even during, you know, bad times, people are going to swoop those companies up. So that's like a sweet spot for us. Very good. And how is the economy right now affecting your space? I mean, we just had a, we had one of our largest deals close and that whole SVB blank bank implosion that happened last month. Right. It literally, you know, this purchase was an SBA loan done through mm. a regional bank in Washington. And that bank implosion happened two weeks before our close. And it didn't even ruffle any feathers. Like it, it just, everything kept on going and um, it, it wasn't a problem at all. You know, of course the media loves to scare people and that's what gets people's attention. Right. Uh, yeah. So we, we just disregard that. I mean, I personally don't watch the news whatsoever, but I mean, again, it, it still kind of pops in my LinkedIn feed and I still like hear about things. Uh, but I mean, the R word isn't even allowed to be said in my company. You can ask my team, like, I don't want to hear the word recession. Like we just need to keep doing what we're doing and right. yeah. And tuning a lot of that out. And I've kind of always operated that way. Um, recession doesn't intimidate me at all. Uh, yeah, it, it, I don't see we're st- people are, we're still selling companies super fast. It hasn't affected us. Well, um, there's a again, positive we, effect to yeah. some businesses like yours, right? When the economy has choppy waters, oh, are for you sure. not seeing some benefits from that? Oh, for sure. People are pulling their money out of these volatile, you know, stocks and crypto and all this stuff that's very volatile and then putting it into something more stable, like cash flowing business, predictable. Um, So yeah, that's, that's what we're seeing. So it's actually good for us, (laughs) if anything. Interesting. So how, I mean, I'm going to take a step back because this is going to be somewhat random, but like, how did you get into this? 
how did you get into building and selling businesses? Is this something that you knew in college and early in life that you were going to do? Did you fall into it? How did this specialty emerge for you? As a little kid, I was oh, like wow. selling candy You're bars. Your lemonade stand, huh? <laughs> I, oh, snow cone stand though, because I wanted to be different, innovate. <laughs> so the wow, snow cone stand, my poor little sister had to, you know, she had to do the grinding of the ice, and I would, I would get fifty cents for the snow cone, and I think I would upcharge for different flavors. I'm sure, but then I give her a nickel, and she did all the work, and I kept forty five cents. <laughs> so, so I guess I was born to be an employer. Luckily, nowadays I'm more generous with my pay for payroll, but yeah, so. <laughs> my whole life my whole life so um and my dad was a business owner too he was okay yeah Mm -hmm. HVAC so like blue collar like he went and did the work and and then I helped him you know as a kid I helped him with his business and even as a teenager so I got to see kind of the inner workings of a business but yeah I just have always loved building things from scratch and I think of company ideas a lot of my businesses I started from scratch or like weren't even really a concept necessarily they were kind of kind of out there a little bit in a sense, um, kind of ahead of the trends, especially the the wellness spa was, because that was before wellness was super trendy. And so, yeah, I just mm-hmm. want to create stuff that I don't see in the marketplace. Um, some of it's selfish reasons. Like I, I want something and it's not in the marketplace. So then I create building it. Building it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Building it for myself. So yeah, it's been, it's a fun ride. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I think that's where a lot of times really working towards, right, is helping feel that exit, um, whether you're in the business or you own the business, it's kind of the marching direction that you're you're working under, if you're in a startup, particularly, uh, which I normally work with. So talk to us about the process a little bit, macro steps, not, we don't have to get into the micro, but uh, early days leading up to the exit. If you're talking to a founder over coffee, what are you telling them cliff notes on what to keep in mind, how to position early to late stage? in that process. Yeah. And I know, I love what you do, Derek, because like having a super solid, like SDR, like sales process within the organization, the owner cannot be doing all the biz dev and sales. They can, I mean, the company's wrapped. That means the company's attached to that owner. Right. And that means they're going to have an earnout, which we try really hard not to do. I think I've done one so far. What's that? Yeah, earnout, meaning they've got to stay in the company. So a, a chunk of that purchase price is not going to be given to that owner until they they earn it out and they hit these sales goals and uh, they st- stay on board for So they stay anywhere. on as a consultant or advisor or in some specialty role where they're still bringing in new business and being the face of the company for a period of time. Yeah. Or full-time or they're like a full-time team member, which is the worst, right? Because now you got a boss again. So, um, or your own company that you start. Yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah. And that's painful. (laughs) I think I've only had two friends out of like 20 that actually stuck out their earnout because it's just so painful. Otherwise they leave the money on the table. Is that what happens? Like, no. Yeah. A lot of money. But a friend of mine, he got his, he had a remaining 5 million on the table and he just, he earned after two years, he made it. I didn't think he was going to make it, but I'll give him all the credit in the world. So yeah, again, if you, you just want to take yourself out of the role, you want to, in the beginning, of course, you're wearing every single hat as the owner. Like I know it myself, right? I've been there, but over time you want to work your way out of that position completely. And I know marketing and sales is the last hat to give up, like for the owner, like, of course, right? So, so just kind of get to that point. Again, you can still be high touch with maybe your, you know, top couple customers and clients, Mm -hmm. 
But again, the more you have, the harder it is to be to, to hand it off to somebody. I think another thing is contracts. I know it's a barrier to sales, right? To try to lock somebody in a six month or 12 month contract for any, you know, any type of service or software. But this, but that gives higher value too, because the buyer has like that security of knowing like, oh, all your clients are on actual service agreements. Term-based agreements that are, you know, if you can get multi-term, two year, three year, the more of the longevity stuff that's built in, the buyer is going to feel more confident that revenue will sustain. So is is that kind of what you're saying? You nailed it. Yeah. You nailed I'm learning it. along yeah, with sure. everybody else here, guys. I've never been at the table of an exit. I've been around it, but you know, I'm still learning along with all of you guys. So forgive me for some of the questions. Yeah. And even if you give a discount, um, I mean, I would give a discount just to get people under an agreement, right? That's mm, how important it is because wow. if you do the multiple at the end of the day, you're actually going to make more on your exit if you have people under agreement. So I'm willing to, to give a discount up front. Yeah. You had mentioned in our offline discussion that that bottom line is so important because that's what the multiplier is based on. What does that mean? Like the, the you're talking about the valuation effectively, I believe, right? Yeah, it's always a multiple typically of EBITDA or SDE. SDE is seller's discretionary earnings. Usually that's a company under a million. So whatever you want to call it, just kind of that profit at the bottom line at the end of the day. We're putting your ad backs in back in your vacations and your whatever mm-hmm. meals and entertainment, your personal car um, down to that number two. So don't worry about that. But in the beginning, you're scaling. OK, hyper growth. You're going to reinvest all the money into marketing. It's probably going to be zero for the first couple of years. That's normal. Don't don't be afraid of that because you definitely want to grow. And then but then when you're gearing up. You know, if you do want to exit, if you know you're, you want to exit within the next year or two, then that's when you start trying to really cut the expenses, grow the bottom line. And because that is the foundation of what the multiple is going to be on, it's not the end all be all though, because then you're going to add other value by saying, oh, I don't really work in the business much at all. And we have a perfect reputation. We have a solid, stable team. We have incredible systems in place. Um, all those things kind of stack up and bump the value up. Hmm. What are some strategies you see late stage that founders do when they're moving away, when they've been that linchpin to revenue and, um, you know, they, they know they need to remove themselves, but they need to keep and fortify the revenue engine. What are some strategies that they've implemented at that stage to keep revenue going? What's something that's working and done well? We want to obviously take some best practices from that. Yeah. I mean, if they can get like a chief revenue officer in there, right. Pull and then just gives them all the responsibility in the world to drive that stuff. The CMO, the marketer, like the sales and the marketing is so pivotal. It's like, honestly, the most important part of a company, which, you know, you deal with this every day. Right. So, so having that really dialed, well-oiled machine, super stable growth, people don't want to see on a PL like these high, unless it's a seasonal business. Otherwise, they don't want to see these ups, yep. downs, ups, downs. They want, you know, and it doesn't need to be hockey stick growth either, right? This isn't, you're not raising DC capital, but, <laughs> but, but like stable upward trend, you're not breaking the system because I've grown my own companies too fast and broke things real quickly, right? Because you can't, you you know, maybe you're great at sales and marketing, but then in the fire hose got turned on, but then the fulfillment isn't there. Right. Operations just can't keep up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So you mentioned early days that if you're thinking about the exit, it sounds like cutting costs is number one. Is there anything else that comes to mind? I mean, do you, how do you, maybe this is what you guys do at Magnolia, but how do you you know, make the, uh, make it aware, make it put it on the market. Because I think there's a 
point of like, you don't want to tell your team you're looking to sell. So how do you market your business or, you know, what else are you worried about besides cutting expenses early days when you first start positioning for exit? Yeah. So we talked about, yeah, cutting expenses and getting a healthy bottom line. We talked about working yourself out of the job, make sure it's, and again, these are the top objections that we hear day after day after day. Objections you know, by buyers. At, is that what you mean by, by buyers like, for mm-hmm. ours? Cause we work on the sell side for yeah. the companies they're looking at. They're like, how much is the owner work? And, and everybody listening, 10 hours is totally reasonable. And honestly, if you said you work zero hours a week, nobody's going to believe that, right? Mm-hmm. You still got some people reporting to you. You're still looking at reports. You're still doing some high-level management and overseeing some stuff. So if you can get down to 10 hours a week, that's ideal. If you're like, hey, I work 10 hours a week, any buyer is going to be totally cool with that. Um, yeah, the profit, getting the profit up, stable team reputate, reputation is huge because that's hard for someone to fix. If you have a bad... I just deep dove into a, a company that wanted to work with us and they had bad reviews. And I was like, oh, like we just like can't on take Yelp, on. on Glassdoor, but, um, on, um, on Trustpilot. Mm. So mainly, mainly. Uh, but Glass, I mean, look at all those, right? Yeah, and and yeah. try to do that early on too. So try to, you know, I know when I was like seeing one of my companies, I, I, I actively went and talked to some prior employees and current employees. I'm like, hey, can you just like write us a review on Glassdoor? So try to get those going because those right. look even better. Like, wow, the staff even loves living, working there. And um, since we're so talking yeah. about reviews, I would be remiss if I didn't ask the audience to please rate and review this podcast on Apple or Spotify. Thank you. Uh, I love good it. Plug. Good plug. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. I second that. Do that for Derek. There you um, go. Cool. Yeah. So reviews are important. So yeah, I think those are the mm-hmm. things you're gearing up. And to your point about, yeah, you're not telling the team, do not sell the team, do not sell the team. You're thinking about selling, you are selling, none of that. Okay, so when do you, is it when the deal's done? Like, hey guys, guess what? You know, the, is it, I mean, I'd imagine it's a delicate and it kind of depends on the dynamic with the team and how long you've been together. And if it's two founders, they're probably going to know, obviously, but yeah. the rest of the team doesn't know and you know, I think as employees who most of us are probably listening to this are like, okay, so the writing's on the wall, we're seeing something, it's looming. So how do you control the communication? How, and when do you release that? It's so hard. And we're in the month of April. So I'll share this quick story from last year. I think we repost on social media. Um, one of my sales last year in March, um, they had a team of six people. It was a cute plant boutique in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And a couple of weeks prior to close, it was closing on the 31st and on a Thursday. And so I was like, hey, you know, seller and buyer, do you guys want to talk with the team and announce it to your team in person? Do you want to do it on Thursday? You know, or do you want to do it Friday morning? And you guys already know what day follows March 31st. They, we said Friday. They're like, oh, let's just do it Friday morning. And we didn't think that's April Fool's. I was like, oh my God. So oh, we, <laughs> okay. So I kept, it was a couple of weeks prior. I was like, okay, we'll do it on Friday morning. Like Whoa. didn't put two and two together. Then a week before I was like, oh my God, it like clicked. And I called them both. And I was like, oh my God, you guys, it's like April Fool's day. Like, I don't know. What do you think? And they're like, well, let's just do it. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously that is stand in front of them and say, hey, we sold the company and this is not April Fool's joke. <laughs> so I would say don't do it on that day of the year. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so that was a little, little boo-boo on all of our parts. Um, you just, you can't tell them to the day that's done for a multitude of reasons. 
And I've even made the mistake of telling like my right-hand manager, you know, because I wanted them to buy my company. So I told her that my competitor stole her from me. Like <sighs> there's so many horror stories. You just, because they get scared and they right. don't know. And it jeopardizes the deal in late stage. Yeah. Right? Or if the deal falls out, then you're really screwed. They're going to be like, oh, well, she was trying to sell the company. She doesn't care about it anymore. There's like a multitude of reasons. And then this is the hack kind of around not, because like, integrity and being honest is like a super value, like for me, personal value and business. So, and and same with what we teach people. And it's like, you could say, Hey, because they're going to come in and start talking with team and you're going to start talking, you know, ask your CFO to pull all sorts of crazy reports that that put them on alert. Like, why are they having me do all this weird Mm -hmm. stuff or the due diligence portion and just say, Hey, we're thinking about bringing an investor in and somebody might invest in the company. Okay. That's kind of pretty much kind of true. Um, or be a consultant, um, position them as a consultant coming in and they might sit and interview some of your key t- team members. Um, that's the way you're going to probably position it. Um, and it's probably the only way you could do it, to be honest. I mean, if it's some, I've had some companies, some of our sellers have told they're like key employees because um, they're that close to them. Right, right, so right. It's, I would imagine it's, that that state at that size and you're mentioning some of the numbers. Yeah, I would imagine there's some intimate long and not every you know, has the perfect five-year cycle, right? Some of these companies have been around for a while and have had their teams, I would imagine, for more than five, 10 years where they're exiting. Um, is that a fair assessment? Exactly. And it is. It's the hardest thing out of selling companies. In my personal opinion, is selling my team. It's it's mm-hmm. super hard. But I will give another hack because, again, I learned my lesson with one of my earlier exits. I told the manager, my competitor stole her out from because they knew to. I, I tried to get my competitor to acquire me. They passed. Try to get my my manager to acquire because she loved the company. She couldn't afford it. And then they stole her. I was like, oh, this was the worst idea in the world. Um, but then my spa, I had a manager that ran it like it was hers. And I would just hate to sell my company and have my manager after the fact say, Christine, why didn't you ask me? I would have bought it. Like that would devastate me. So then I got smart and I said, hey, Michelle, I, I'm thinking about bringing an investor into the into the spa. Like, would you be interested? That's a great, that opens the conversation up, right? It kind of, it gives you, see if they're interested, see if they have access to money. Um, I think that that's a really slick way to do it, an easy way to do it versus yeah. just outright saying, do they want to buy it? If right. they're interested, then, then. Well, because the investor sounds like you're still going to be around there. It's, it, but technically is selling, it is bringing an investor in. So you're, you're not, but yeah, it's a good way to dance around that conversation because I can see how it could be delicate and could slip down, be a slippery slope. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So you launched Magnolia Firm, the Magnolia Firm just under two years ago. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. About a year and a little over a year and a half ago. Yeah. Very good. Well, congratulations. Talk to us about the launch and what the ride has been like so far. Uh, you've mentioned offline how you had some, um, you know, a sort of a list built up all ready to go at launch. So that worked out well for you. So tell us about what that launch looked like and what the ride has been like. Yeah, I've been doing all I did. I had a, a broker on my very first deal because I was still in my 20s, didn't know how to sell a company, obviously. And then since then, I was doing all my own because I'm like, look, if I could build a company from scratch, I'm a salesperson, I'm a marketer, why can't I sell it? It's kind of embarrassing if I'm a salesperson, can't sell my own company. So then I just started doing all my own, even the larger ones. And Mm. so, and loved it. And then some of my friends two years ago were like, hey, we're exiting. Can you come on as a consultant and help us? We know you've done your own deals. I was like, yeah, sure. You know, and I, I helped three different friends back to back exit really quickly. It was so much fun. And they were all like, you need to do this 
for real. And, you know, it was just coming out of my software company. It was kind of dovetailed. I hadn't exited all the way out of the software company, but I was almost there. So I was right. like, okay, this is, this is going to be the next, <laughs> we're, we're jumping into it. And then I launched the Magnolia firm immediately. I had a wait list from like day one. So we were just, I was backed up. I can only run five deals at a time. Uh, nice. My lawyer friend. Yeah. I love, she taught me, she goes, she never takes more than five cases at a time. Cause she has to count them on one hand. And I had six last summer and she just shook her head and she goes, uh-oh. Yeah, I know what your life looks like right now. <laughs> you're you're yeah, running ragged at six clients probably, right? Yeah, I said, Kayla, yeah. you were, exactly. that was last summer. And so I'm like, okay, I get it, I get it. And so, but I was maxed at five. And then last fall, I brought on a business partner, Khaled, and he's incredible. So what that immediately did overnight was doubled our capacity to 10. We're, we're now quickly bringing in other business intermediaries. We're hiring other team members for support. Mm -hmm. So we, right now, we could probably do like 15 at a time. Um, we're boutique and we like to give extreme attention to our clients. Like they got our cell phone numbers. They can call, text I me touch. any time mm -hmm. of the day, anywhere in the world that I'm in. Our, our clients are international. I was going to ask, yeah, you're all, that's one reason, you know, it makes your, your, your global presence, your clients are everywhere as well, right? Yeah, exactly. So now I'm on a closer time zone with some of them anyways now. So, and then, and then my business partner stayed behind in, in San Diego, but yes, yeah, so that was a game changer. And, wow. and I was going to Under say two years, BC. you've like tripled capacity basically. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, and moving up market simultaneously. So, but I mean, it, the market is ripe for disruption. Like the business brokerage industry is so dated. I swear to God, people are still faxing things. I am not, I read it again today. Brokers are having you fax stuff. I'm like, who the heck is going on in this world? So we're very, you know, new age digital. Everything's automated. We use amazing CRM automations, um, I mean, Khaled's like a techie at heart. So he's built so much out um, in Very the good. firm. So, so we love, we love kind of innovating in this space. I love hearing those stories as a, as a consulting firm, a uh, hearing those, those, those success stories, but I also like to learn from what other consultants are doing on the show as the sales consultant podcast. So how do you acquire clients today? I mean, you've, you've, the wait list is uh, I'm sure done. And now you're moving up market, as you say. So strategically, what are some tactics that you're deploying today to acquire net new customers, pipeline fill and so forth? Yeah, it's kind of been exciting because it was all before it was obviously word of mouth and it was some other like platforms that would send us sellers looking to sell and needed right. assistance or or people selling their digital firms that like got or they tried to list it themselves and then they got like bombarded with inquiries of people asking the same question over and over and over and just and they're they're trying to grow their company simultaneously because you cannot take your foot off the gas. If anything, you gotta like floor it, right? Because they want to see the growth, but you get distracted trying to sell your other company. It's like and that's why it was where you that's where you're firm comes in in that specific area keep running your business don't take your foot off the pedal let us get this due diligence let us get this calculations and so forth in a place where you're ready to to exit a hundred percent that's okay. what they're bringing us on to do so so yeah we were getting clients that way and then we just started doing a cold outreach um put a couple people in place for sdr and like got you know and i'm a copywriter so i i've been to this and i know we talked before yeah. i'm still like tweaking we're split testing a couple of different cold outreach emails we're what kind of reply through. rates are you seeing 
Um, oh, I'll have to ask again. They're, I'm too busy with the tinkering around. I keep making it maybe too fluffy and then, and then it's going into the, so we can't see the open room. We can't see how many are like landing. Like the, del um, the deliverability. The deli yeah, we yeah. don't know. So it, that's, but the response rate went down. So we're like, is it going into spam? What's going on? So that's like a whole nother. And again, we're doing it internally because Khaled, like he's been in that world before. Got and it. so, but I'm messing with the emails and they said, well, hey, your emails are too long, Christine. And we think it's hitting spam. So I said, hey guys, my permission to, to do the shorter email, even though I didn't like the shorter email. Um, and, and like me and you talked about, the messaging will attract different people. Right. So we had this short kind of scarce, I don't know, it's too salesy in my opinion of like, if somebody offered you all cash for your business, would you sell it? And then mine was a little softer, like vulnerable, I don't authentic email, right? That wasn't right. so salesy cheesy. But what's funny is they're 50%, um, like the inquiries are landing at 50%. And then we landed two amazing clients and one is from each email. <laughs> These are this is type of split testing. So that's so you're, what we're you're, but now. you're building sequences out of email sequences in a sales engagement platform that you have connected to your CRM. And I think you said you have a, an SDR or multiple SDRs that are helping kind of steward this while you help with the massaging of copy. Is that exactly? Accurate? Yeah, one SDR, and then my business partner's man. He's working got side it. by side with the mm -hmm. SDR to to finesse everything. And I literally, before I got on this podcast, I'm still playing around with the sequence. So we've got, um, and and again, I I'd love to hear your opinion on how many is too many, but um, we're gonna have five totals that we landed on five follow up sequences every every two to three days, we're going to hit them again, hit them again, but we're simultaneously going to also reach out on LinkedIn because I feel like LinkedIn yeah, gets absolutely. an amazing response. Yeah, so we're doing, I, yeah. so it's 10 total. Yeah. Uh, well, 10 sequences or 10 steps? 10, 10 actual touches yeah, 10 after steps. they respond to the first one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, they have benchmarks for enterprise and mid-market. I think the number is 20 plus for enterprise, 14 or so for mid-market in terms of number of touches that you would need to wire your sequence around in order to you know fall into the high probability range of making contact because the first three, four, five touches we you know go unresponded to and so forth. But honestly, the first touch, that first email, a lot of times is uh, a, a a pilot, if you will, it really makes a big difference in whether or not you're going to have reply rates later or at all, um, if you can do it right in the beginning. So, um, but yeah, we can talk about that uh, together offline sometime. I'd be happy to, um, but that's exciting to hear that you are running an outbound motion. You're moving up market. You're using sales development as a strategy. They're booking meetings. I would imagine for you and for your founder to go in and do that discovery process. What kind of tools are you using to run this? Uh, what, what does your tech stack look like? The tech stack for what we're doing, they're using, um, it's called snov.io, S-N-O-V.io. Okay. That's the, and those are the Gmail like burner accounts. And that's, that's the tool they're using. We'll drop a link uh, in the comments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, drop a link in there. I, they showed it to me. And again, we're real good about staying in our own lanes, right? So I'm actually the one that handles once once we have a sales meeting scheduled, it's done on Zoom, it's done with me. Like that's my wheelhouse. I love yeah. like meeting with these potential sellers and getting to know their business better. So I'm in that lane and I'm like, okay, guys, like you stay in your lane other than me writing the emails. Right, right, right. They keep changing because I'm like, guys, we keep changing it. And they go, because we're not getting a response. I'm like, okay, fine. Change, change the verbiage, however you want to change it. Um, so we'll, we'll tinker with that. 
but that's kind of the, and then it goes into CRM, um, RSDR puts them immediately in Zoho is the CRM. Mm -hmm. And then, and we're amazing at putting notes and, and tracking. Are they running like sales navigator too, to run lists on yep. entrepreneurs on, on LinkedIn and stuff exactly. and source those in? Very good. Yep. Very good. Well, I, I'm going to put you on spot just a little bit. Um, we'll see how you, you take this one. Um, will you ever exit Magnolia Firm? Oh, that's a good one, Derek. <laughs> I can't say never. I can't even say the word never ever again. Because <laughs> in my all my colleagues, you know, I, I have friends that have been entrepreneur business owners alongside of me for you know almost like twenty years, and they laugh because I was like, oh, I'm not going to start a big firm, you guys. Yeah, I'm not right. I know, and they're like, no, you always go big. You're not going to do that. I go, no, I want to be semi-retired. I want to just do you know a few deals a day. You know, not not grow. And now wow. here we are being international <laughs> brokerage firm. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, at, at some point I could see us exiting the firm. Um, we're building it in a way that somebody could acquire us. Uh, and so, and I think it would be exciting, even if it was, you know, an acquisition of kind of a dated, you know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of really large business brokerages that are franchises that are dated. So yeah. Uh, cause our demographic is so different. Not only our team, our team is Gen Z, and and millennials. I'm literally the oldest one in our firm. <laughs> it's just like I'm not that well, it's old. A new, it's a new day out there. Yeah, it's I a new know, landscape of, uh, of professionals. I, I know. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm the oldest one in my firm. But it's it's way, totally fine. Me. And our clients are young too, so we we attract really super rad, cool clients. And and yeah, I mean, when, but I never ever. That's the other question people always ask me is like, how when do you decide when to exit? Like, do you plan it? I've never planned it in advance. I've never had. So it's always been some sort of trigger for you. That's been like, Hey, it's time. The time has come. Is it just this serendipitous thing where, you know, I think it's time or has there been life triggers or business triggers that are saying, you know what, I need to get the hell out of here. Or it's just time. Like how, what triggers you specifically to sell a company? Yeah, it took a lot of exits to figure it out because I didn't even know the rhyme or reason. It was always around the five-year mark. I noticed that much as a trend. Um, it's it's literally once the chaos is done, <laughs> the part when you get to the company where everybody wishes, right? Where everything, like I'm so, I was in Europe. Yeah, I was in Europe for a month with the with Eco Chateau, and they never called, never bothered me, and they hit their big. It's, they broke the hundred thousand dollar monthly, you know, revenue mount, which is like a big milestone. First off, and they did it without me, so I was actually sad because I was like the sales pusher, you know, yeah. and I was sad. My friends like, oh my god, like that's the part that you want. You want your business to be running that well when you're not there. And I said, oh, I'm bored now. And <laughs> <laughs> so there it is. Once you get bored. When once I get bored, once <laughs> yeah. I get bored, I'm out. Yeah, and it's not fair. It's not fair to my team. It's not fair to the clients. If I'm over, you know, hey, I'm just bored and I'm not. You're challenged. wired I love a certain way. Win. You're wired yeah. a certain way. That's just the way it is. You know, that's yeah. Well, uh, hopefully, I don't think Magnolia is ever going to get boring to everybody. Is uh, you know, we always have businesses, and there's always businesses to exit, and that companies need help with. So, uh, I do wish you a lot of success with the firm. I know it's still relatively recent. It sounds like you're doing tremendous, and you're going to keep on doing great things. But final question for you. So you had breakfast with a person that everybody on this podcast listening should know the name, Richard Branson. Um, you had breakfast with him in Paris uh, some time ago. And I'm curious, this is the question. What is one thing that you learned from him that you've implemented into your life or your business made an impact in what you do? I mean, to continue, he has so much fun having, everybody sees that. Like he loves his life. He loves his companies. He thinks so big, 
So just like reiterated that I've read all his books and everything, but it just reiterated that meeting him in person of like how excited he was to go to space, you know, and he did it last year. He went to space. Hello. He went (laughs) to space. And you know what? I I met him. This was that breakfast was five years ago and he was supposed to go within six months of that. And he's like, oh, you know, we're, we're scheduled to go in six months. And look, it was like another four and a half years. And I was like, so happy when he made it up there. And just to think like so big, like Elon Musk is the same way. Um, Something else that I not so much implemented, but I studied a lot more of was Brian Chesky of Airbnb. So I asked Hmm. Richard, I'm like, okay, Richard's my idol, right? But like, who's your idol? Yeah, great question. He said, Brian, he's friends with him. Um, He knows him personally. And he loves, he loves him as a business owner, as entrepreneur, and he loves Airbnb as a business. So that was super like interesting to me. So it's just fun to just sit and have breakfast and ask him, just regular questions that were top of mind and not, not the generic, like what's the secret to your success? <laughs> like he's already written that in all his books. Right, right. So I, I wasn't asking stuff like that, but it was just like talking to a friend. He's such an incredible human. And yeah, that was, that was definitely a bucket list item checked off there. I'm sure, sure everyone here is now wondering how the hell did you get to have breakfast with him? So maybe that will be the last question. How did that come to be? I share, so everybody can connect with me on LinkedIn and I'm great about responding. If you ever have questions, you can hit me up there, but I actually finally posted it recently, like five years later. Um, you guys can see that in kind of my, uh, my post section yeah. of LinkedIn, I share photos and the whole story and even videos. Cause I was doing video blogs for years about how much I liked him. So I kind of like clipped them all together. It's kind of fun to see the evolution, but long story short, I had met him in San Diego super quickly. Cause he was speaking. I ran up on stage. I gave him a small check for his charity, Virgin Unite. And then I ran off and then he was sweet enough to call my cell phone like an hour later to thank me. I thought that was amazing. Wow. A couple of years, I told my team, I'm going to write this huge check next time. We had a, we had a check written and framed in both our locations, in my office and in my home. So it was just like this visualization of like top of mind, right? My, my yeah. subconscious was like, how do I cut it? this yep, check? Exactly. Oh, yeah. Programming like, your subconscious. Is, I love it. This was a big check back then. Like I was like, this is not even possible. And then, but I exited that spot a year and a half later and then it was possible so then yeah I asked him I was like hey I reached back out to him through email and was like I got this check but it's a lot bigger so can I just hand it to you and then he's like I, that's all I want to do is hand it to him I didn't expect breakfast at all so yeah that's so he invited kinda... you out and there you went, one thing led to another very good yeah I said I have my passport because he wasn't going to come back to the states until like six months out and I was like oh Richard like I gotta give you this check right now <laughs> like I don't want to wait six months right and so he, I got my passport I'll go wherever you're at and he said well I'll be in Paris next week I'm like okay I'm going worst places to meet up <laughs> <laughs> breakfast in Paris. Yeah, it was fun. Very good. Well, this has been educational. I've learned a lot. Thank you for being on the show. You mentioned LinkedIn is where people can find you. Anywhere else you want to point folks to, to look you or Magnolia up? Yeah, the Magnolia Firm is on Instagram and YouTube. Um, I'm trying to get even more on there in the sense of like educating business owners, not just how to exit or prepare for an exit or just how to build a strong company. Like I'm going to get on there and do a lot more of that kind of content um, across the board of of just business success, right? And some tips and tricks to, to build an amazing company. So definitely check us out on those platforms as far as the firm is concerned. And yeah, LinkedIn, you can connect with me there and message me anytime. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. 
If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.